Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, September 13th. After two weeks of outstanding tennis, two weeks of dramatic battles, we finally have our answer to who is going to emerge as the 2020 U.S. Open Women's Singles Champion. It is number four seeded Naomi Osaka, who comes back in dramatic fashion, putting forward an outstanding performance, 1-6-6-3-6-3 victory over Victoria Azarenka. She captures the third major title of her career. Of course, I'm going to be recapping that match, how it all went down. I also want to preview today's men's singles final between Alex Virov and Dominic Team. Of course, we are going to get our first first-time major champion since the 2014 U.S. Open when Marin Cilic broke through to win his first Grand Slam. And in Team and Zverev, we have two players who have long been labeled the next great champion in the game. And it's going to be a really exciting exciting match, folks. So I want to break down what I think a team uh, victory is going to look like. I want to talk about what I think a Zverev victory looks like. Of course, Dominic team so impressive in his straight set victory over Daniil Medvedev to get to this final. Alex Zverev, anything but impressive in his pathway to his first major final, but of course, still want to talk about what that match is going to look like. Just going to be me steering the ship here today. Gave Jamie McDonald a much-needed day off, but rest assured, listeners, you'll be able to hear his thoughts not only on these U.S. Open finals, but just recapping all of the action we've seen these past three weeks in New York when we do our recap shows. which will not only be podcast, but of course, you're going to get to see our smiling faces on video as well. So go subscribe to our YouTube channel, which you can find by searching Cracked Rackets on YouTube. You'll be sure uh, to get an immediate update as soon as that video is posted. Be on the lookout for that. Uh, obviously, it has been such an exciting past three weeks in New York. So uh, there's a lot of action that happened, a lot of storylines you may have missed or have forgotten uh, over these past three weeks. We'll talk about all of that. So be on the lookout for all of those things. Of course, the reason we are able to do these podcasts day in, day out, the reason we are able to provide you Cracked Rackets fans with the sort of tennis content you deserve is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. And you know the deal by now. Look good, feel good, play good, Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Cracked Rackets. Uh, go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. you get 15% off your order. You'll get free. See, I'm so excited. I'm choking up. You'll get 15% off your order. You'll get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, you'll get that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. They want to ensure you have everything you need to make your time on the court a success. So go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, go to Aerobar, and use that promo code CRACK15 to get your nutrition in the right place. It's the only tennis-specific energy bar on the market, more potassium than a banana, delicious cinnamon honey 
uh, cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavor. And it's not going to melt in your bag either, folks. It's just it's going to be sitting there for you. It's going to say, hey, eat me, eat me. And you're going to be like, you know what? I am going to eat you because not only are you delicious, but you're better. You know, you're healthy for me. You're getting my energy in the right place. Aerobar.com. Use the promo code CRACKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. Let them know we sent you there. And again, we are so grateful for their continued support. Go to MidwestSports.com. CR15. Go to Aerobar.com. Use the promo code CRACKED15. Okay, as I mentioned, we're only going to be doing two things today. We are talking U.S. Open Finals because that's obviously what's on all of our minds. Although maybe you're like me and you're a nerd and you're like, well, what was I supposed to do? Not watch tennis between the hours of 8 a.m. and 1 p.m. on Sunday because 1 p.m. obviously when football starts. But before then, I'm not supposed to be watching tennis. No, I'm very well aware that all of you, because you are the best tennis fans in the business. You're not going to let a single match go by your nose. Uh, you know that our guy, Nuno Borges, uh, Borges, I th- we're going to go We're gonna go with the Michigan pronunciation here, uh, the former Mississippi State All-American, won a futures title today in Portugal, continues his rapid ascension up the rankings, folks. I'm telling you, the single greatest value, the single greatest uh, uh, benefit we can have right now, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? The single greatest advantage that we can have from a gambling perspective is the fact that we all know how good Nuno is and he's still going to be playing futures and I don't think the odds makers realize how good he is yet and that's just so much value in just taking Nuno in every event he plays so congratulations to him but obviously there were a couple of other great ITF results some really fun challenger finals uh, there's qualifying going on in Rome Istanbul and Kitzbühel both wrapped up today we're going to save those for tomorrow's mini break podcast I wanted to talk about them today but if I talk about them if I preview the U.S. Open final and it's all on myself this will be a two-hour monologue and not that I don't you know, want to do that. But again, we'll just save it for Monday because those results aren't going anywhere. And obviously, we're not yet ready to pivot towards the clay. We're almost there. You know, I'm hoping you guys are opening yourself up back to clay tennis. Get ready for a lot of grinding, a lot of changing directions, a lot of sliding, a lot of stumbling. Uh, the sort of fun stuff you see when the when the tour shifts to clay. But we'll save that for tomorrow. We'll get the, we'll keep the dirt off our mind for now. Again, I know all of you, you've got dirty minds. You've got dirt on your mind. But we're going to save the thoughts on the red dirt for tomorrow. We're going to focus on the hard court stuff today. So with that in mind, let's get to our U.S. Open women's final recap. And again, Naomi Osaka, such an impressive performance here, coming back from a 6-1 deficit to win this match, 1-6-6-3-6-3. But let's start with that first set because Victoria Azarenka, blitzed through Naomi Osaka, maybe 25 minutes in that first set, and this was an hour 53 match. I mean, in the first set, there's a portion of the match where you look for Victoria Azarenka and her first serve percentage, which again, you know, sometimes you think about, you know, it, it's it's so simple, tennis. You can just think about what are the control, the controllables, and the thing you control more than anything else in tennis is your serve. Victoria Azarenka in set number one, 16 of 17 on first serves. Not on first serve points, on first serve. So she made all but one first serve in that first set. She's 12 of 16 on first serve points, one of one on her second serve points. Sometimes it's really that simple. And you know, Osaka was struggling to find her range in set number one. I don't know if it was nerves. I don't know if it was the fact that Victoria Azarenka came out with her foot on the gas. I mean, she went zero to 60 by point 
point number one. You know, that, that's, that's Porsche-like, uh, I guess would be the equivalent. And she just, her foot was on the gas. She was changing direction. She was putting pressure on Osaka both physically and just with her game style. Just, you know, not only was Osaka moving side to side, but Osaka was behind the baseline, not on top of it, not attacking and dictating play the way she likes to be. Beyond that, Azarenka was just so smart with her targets and her game plan in the first set made every return. And even if she didn't win the point, she or you know, with the return or immediately take control, just did so well with that return of getting the point at a minimum back to neutral. She played to big targets with healthy margin early in the match, and that's what you want to do at the start of a Grand Slam. You can see this was someone playing their fifth Grand Slam final, and for Vika, she just came out playing such smartly, you know, smart but conservative aggression, or just tactically aggressive. Just, again, played to really nice margins, played a really smart first set into Osaka. She made 64% of her first serves, but 11 of 25 on her service points in set number one. Uh, didn't have a break opportunity for herself. Five winners against 13 unforced errors. Osaka really struggled to find her range early in this match, and with Azarenka jumping on her the way she did, we saw Azarenka do that exact same thing to Elise Mertens in, the, in I think it was the quarterfinals? No, it was the semifinals, wasn't it? Because Vika played who did Vika even play at this point? She came from the bottom half of the draw. She played Serena in the semifinals, I believe. But I think she played Mertens at some point. Would that have been the quarterfinals? It definitely was the quarterfinals because Serena played Parankova. Anyways, it's been a long two weeks, folks. Uh, we saw Azarenka do that to Mertens, right, where she just jumped on her 1-0. The match was over before it even started. Uh, there were some nerves that that could happen to Osaka in this one. But as every great Grand Slam champion does... Uh, you find a way to make adjustments in this match. And we say it all the time. When a player's losing that badly, it's a Luke Jensenism. Just find a way to lose differently. Change up what you're doing. Just tactically. Try something else because clearly plan one isn't working. And that's exactly what Naomi Osaka did in this match. She just started playing, much like Vika, to bigger targets. Not going for the line, but going for depth on her returns. Going for, you know, again, just deep center during these rallies. Not giving Vika, because you open up the court for Vika, you want to play to the outer thirds, and you don't do it confidently. Now you're opening up the down the lines for Vika. And she was so good during these three weeks in New York at with her movement, getting to the ball early, beating you to the spot, taking that ball down the line, and now she's got control of the point, whether it's another down-the-line shot, whether it's a swinging volley. She just, again, Vika right now, all of the tools in her toolbox working for her. But So Osaka took those away. She said, I'm going to play big margins. I'm going to play deep down the center, and I'm going to bet that you're going to give me a short ball that I can attack. And I'm freaking Naomi Osaka. When I attack a short ball, the point is over. And that's exactly what happened in set number two. Naomi just started playing two bigger targets. And, you know, for Vika... Her serving percentage went down. She was never going to be 16 of 17, only missed one first serve for the entire match. But she only missed nine first serves in the second set, 31 of 40 on that first serve. Uh, But she only went 19 for 40 in total on receiving points during the second set, and that's because Osaka just started reading the serve better. Again, started playing to bigger targets on those return games, and now, you know, the scoreline, those love 30 or 15-40 leads, Vika did a really good job of clawing her way out in a lot of those situations, but Osaka put herself in a position to get up early in games, and now you can go after a return. Now she could play big cross-court with a forehand or take a backhand early down the line or early cross-court, and even if she misses that one, she's still up in the 
the game, but she just stopped missing. I mean, you look at the difference. Set one for Osaka, five winners against 13 unforced errors. Set two for Osaka, 16 winners against five unforced errors. Her level just rose dramatically, and she started making the match more physical. Uh, she just started, uh, in, in, in terms of, she just started dictating more, and she, you know, just again, was just so smartly aggressive. She kept the ball in the center of the court. She didn't open things up because in that first set, you look at distance covered per point, Vika at 48.7, Osaka 53.6. She was the one going side to side to side to side. Vika was dictating. That was no longer the case in the second set in Osaka. 77 first serve percentage uh, in that second set. She won 65% of her first serve points, 60% of her second serve points. She just played big to big margin. She closed out the set and her body language shifted immediately and you could feel it when she got the break of serve in the second set just the way she was positive the way she was bouncing the way she was saying come on and it's a credit to Vika who could have just gone away in that second set and said okay we're going the distance but she didn't again there were so many 1540s that she seemed to claw her way out of uh, but no, Naomi Osaka clearly had the momentum going into set number three. And, you know, in set number three, of course, you're going to feel some nerves. Uh, but what credit to Osaka, who jumped out to an early lead here, 4-1, uh, got the early break of serve. Just for Vika, the second serve abandoned her in sets two and three. In set two, as I mentioned, on second serve points, she goes four of nine. In set three, she goes four of 13. I mean, it's because Osaka found her range on the return. Osaka was able to take control of seemingly every point. And again, Vika scrapped, Vika clawed, Vika would go down the line, be, you know, dare I say, ballsy in the biggest moments. And there was a match point, I think it was, uh, what, 5-3. So Vika, or Osaka serving, and I think it was 40-15, and just Vika smacks. Like I said, it was Delpo-esque, the way she's just on top of the baseline on that 40-15 point. I think she goes... Forehand inside in, forehand inside out, backhand, big cross court, finally draws the air. And like, again, you have to credit Victoria S. Ranka, just whose body language, her attitude, everything about her run in New York. She played to win the entire time. She was fearless. She just said, you know what? You know, I'm, I'm sorry for swearing here, Westoff, because I know I'm trying to make your edits easier. But she just said, F- it. She's just like, you know what? I'm not going to go out here and have any regrets. I'm going to play exactly how I want to play. And if I lose today, so be it. I lose to a better player. But I am not not leaving anything on the table. And again, that's why I give so much, you know, that much more credit to Naomi Osaka because Victoria Azarenka played a really good match. This was not an incident of, oh, you know, my the opponent just was rattled by the moment. She did a Grand Slam final, overwhelmed her. Osaka just kind of runs from it there. No, that was absolutely not the case. Naomi Osaka earned every bit of this one six six three six three victory to earn her third major. And the match point was spectacular. It's this long rally. Looked like a ball for Vika. Landed long, but it skid off the baseline. Osaka plays it. Vika then hits a backhand in the net. Osaka wins, and you can just see the joy on her face. And, you know, her and Azarenka tap rackets. Then she goes over to her bench. Then she falls on the court, and it was very funny in the post-match. She said, well, you know, I've seen players fall immediately, and I think I would injure myself and I don't want to do that. Of course, Naomi Osaka is so sweet as always, and it was just 
an outstanding moment for Osaka, who, of course, captures her third major title. And you look at it now uh, for Naomi Osaka in terms of active players. She's fifth now or tied for fourth. Of course, Serena's got 23. Venus has seven. Kim Kleisters has four. But now her and Kerber are the two players with three, and they lead that group of Kvitova, Muguruza, Agasaranka, Kuznetsova, Halep. It's crazy that she's so young, and yet that's the sort of breadth of player Naomi Osaka belongs with. And, you know, I think she turns 23 this year. I'm pretty sure she's 10 days after me in October, but a couple years younger. But um, that's erroneous, uh, I suppose, irrelevant to a lot of you. But, um, yeah, I mean— She's a stud, and I said this on Twitter, and, you know, the the natural response would be, well, what about Bianca Andreescu, who I don't want to forget about, who was the defending U.S. Open and didn't have the opportunity to defend her crown because of injury, but I just think Naomi Osaka is the best player on hard courts in the women's game, and I think it's unequivocal. I just think... The way she can overwhelm you with her power when it's working. I mean, case in point, look what she did to Vika, who was playing so well, who runs out to a 6-1 lead, who, after being down 4-0 to Serena Williams, was able to fight and claw her way back into this match and find answers and solve problems. And she just wasn't able to do that against Osaka because Osaka overwhelmed her with her power. That's the sort of upside Naomi Osaka has. And I just think when Naomi Osaka, if everyone's playing their best tennis on a hard court, Naomi Osaka is the player right now who comes home with the title. And I know, again, six out of ten, top ten players weren't at this event. And it's so funny because we got Osaka and Azarenka as the final in New York, as, or as the final of Western Southern, as the final of the U.S. Open. It really did feel like we got the two best players from this event. And because of that, any talk of an asterisk on, a, on the women's side seems to have died down, which, by the way, Dainu, as they say in my uh, culture, because it should have died down. I don't know why we're having this asterisk conversation. We'll talk about that later when Jamie's here. I don't want to go on an asterisk rant by myself and then hear from him like, I wasn't there to defend what I mean by asterisk. You pervert my words, Alex. You always do that, which is true. I do always do that. So again, that's why I'm not going to do it now. I'm going to let him speak for himself. Nevertheless, it just feels like the right two players made this final and that the right player won this final. And that's just a very superficial thing, the narrative. But that matters in the grand scheme of tennis. And why it matters is because the narrative should be, as it justifiably is, we found that Graham's game's next great star. And what's so exciting right now about women's tennis, I'll keep emphasizing this, so many talented young up-and-comers, Osaka, Andrescu, Kenan, um, you know, obviously Coco Golf, but you you can go on and on and on and on. I mean, I, I do it enough, so I don't know if you want me to do it right now. I can. You know, Ashley Barty, obviously she's my, like a 96er. Uh, Ostapenko, she's a Grand Slam champion already. There are so many other players right now. The Benchiches of the world. We talked about the Mertens, Conteve, uh, Sabalenka, Sakari, Vekiches. I mean, Katsyuk, who stood up. How about Ika Sviatek? How about Karolina Mukova? Uh, just how many talented young women? women. There are Diana Yastremska. Obviously, there are a ton of veteran or people in their prime right now as well. And then there are people, you know, uh, like the, you know, you say the Vika Azarenka's and then uh, just on and on and on how many talented players there are right now in the women's game. But Naomi Osaka is the star who shines brightest amongst them all. There's a reason she's the three-time Grand Slam champion. There's a reason we talk about her the way we do is because she's a great champion. She's a great representative for tennis both on and off the court. And I just could not be happier for her because just, again, 
strictly from a tennis perspective, it's just so clear how good she is when focused and healthy, and that's what she was the this entire three weeks in New York, minus the healthy part, I suppose, for the final, but she was the best player, in my opinion. I've watched every match of this of this event, and I don't want to say every match, but I, I'd say I've watched at least 60 seconds of every match they've played in New York, and it's just clear to me from watching all of these women play throughout these past three weeks that she's the best of them all. She deserves this title. Tennis is a better game when she's playing this well, uh, and so obviously, uh, congratulations to Osaka. Shout out to this U.S. Open women's event, by the way. First time since 1980, according to the U.S. Open Twitter account, that both the women's semifinals as well as the final were decided in three sets. I know there's a fun stat going around it. You know, Azarenka uh, beat Serena by the exact same score she lost to, I believe, Osaka. Is that the first time that's ever happened? I don't know. We'll get the Cracked Racket stats department on it. Uh, But it was an awesome match. And so, again, credit to Naomi Osaka, three-time Grand Slam champion. I'm just going to say this casually. I'm sure I'll talk about it more with Jamie. Set the over-under at, what, she's at three, she's 22, seven and a half. I mean, seven and a half slams is freaking crazy, but you're telling me she can't win five more. She's got, what, in the next, let's say before she's 30, eight years, we're going to assume she's going to miss four of, three of them due to health, but, you know, she's got 16 hardcore slams over the next eight years. Let's say she only plays 12 of them. She can't win three or four or maybe even five. I don't know. There are a lot of really talented young women, uh, but she's as talented as any of them. And so uh, it's going to be really fun uh, decade of women's tennis. I cannot wait to see it unfold. And I just know how many young, talented players, again, they're going to be pushing one another. So it's really, really exciting. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. But... Again, we've seen the young women break through. Now it's time to see a young man break through in the men's game. We have our first perspective first-time Grand Slam champion since the 2014 U.S. Open. Again, Alex Virev, the number five seed, taking on Dominic Team. A quick reminder of how we got here for all you listeners, because again, there has been so much tennis over these past two weeks. Can understand if you forgot what happened in the first round. Uh, just a reminder, Alex Virev, four-set win over Kevin Anderson in round one. He then beat both Nakashima and Manorino in four sets. Knocks off the Vinovich Fokina in straights in the round of 16. Then beats Borna George in four, Pablo Carreno Busta in five sets to get to the first Grand Slam final of his career for Dominic Team. Uh, he has looked so good, dropped only one set this entire tournament, wins over Munar, Nagal, Chilich, FAA, and then Daniil Medvedev. Uh, all, or excuse me, FAA, Demon Hour, and Medvedev all over straight sets. The only set he's dropped to Marin Chilich in the third round. Two tiebreak victories for him over Daniil Medvedev. He really could have lost those sets. He did not, though. He is so clutch right now. And of course, he now finds himself in his fourth Grand Slam final of his career, second consecutive of the 2020 season. And just a reminder for all of you listeners, one more as we set the scene here, for Alex Zverev and Dominic Team, 
10th career matchup for them. They've played nine times. Team carries a 7-2 head-to-head advantage heading into this match. They also played at this year's Australian Open semifinal, where Dominic Team took a 3-6-6-4-7-6-7-6 victory over Alex Virev in a match that was fantastic, in a match that, I'm not going to lie, I've rewatched the YouTube highlights of three times in the build-up to today's match in order to try and get a clearer picture of what we are going to see, and I think that's about as good of a place to start as any. You look at what that matchup looked like, and it's worth noting those Australian Open courts a little bit slower than the court you're going to be seeing them play on today in Arthur Ashe Stadium, but that match, uh, you know, that match was a First of all, let's start with the score line. That match, Dominic Team 3-6-6-4-7-6-7-6. You just look at the total points won in that match. Team 138, Alex Vierov 133. It was an either-or match. It was a match that saw Alex Virov have countless opportunities to take better advantage of this uh, result, too. Honestly, he could have won that match very, very easily. And, of course, we all know team went on to push Djokovic pretty tough uh, in that Grand Slam final. But you look at this one, you know, you look for uh, what went right here for Alex Well. It's inevitable that I'm going to start with Alex Vierov. So let's just talk about first, again, we're going to talk about what a win. Well, I guess you look at this Australian Open, what went right for Zverev. Again, this is going to build the case uh, for what this match will look like today. Uh, Now, let's start with Team because he's obviously the favorite here. You can see the internal conflict. This is where Jamie gets mad at me all the time. Again, I don't have him here, so I feel like I have to keep evoking his name. But you look at the odds here today at DraftKings. You look at who's the favorite. It's Dominic Team. prohibitively. You look at uh, the results they've put forward. Dominic Team was over minus 400, I will say. There's been some late money thrown on Zverev. But Team minus 385 to win this match. Alex Zverev plus 310 heading into this one, so you have to bet about $4 to win one on team. You have to bet one to win a little bit over three on Alex Zverev, and look, Team's the favorite because of how shaky Alex Zverev has been. And, you know, some other stats you talk about in the buildup. You look since 2016, the most ATP Tour wins. Djokovic is one with 233, Team 2 with 226, Nadal 3 with 223, Alex Zverev 4 with 217. Those are the only four players over 200 wins since 2016. That makes sense because these two have been the heir apparents for so long. Alex Zverev, you know, hasn't had the success that Team has had at the majors, but he's won a couple of Masters titles. He's won a year-end finals championship, and, you know, for Dominic Team, obviously, Indian Wells' title for him was so big last year to make that final at the Australian Open, two finals at Roland Garros already. Uh, these are two players ready to be competing for a Grand Slam championship, and so you chart this out. What does a win look like for Dominic Team? Well, A, if Alex Vera puts forward the shaky performances he has in the quarterfinals and the semifinals, he just has no shot against Dominic Team, who's so physically fit right now, who threw a stinker in his first-round match uh, against Filip Krajinovic at the Western Southern Open, but since then has just looked so fit. I mean, in that match against Dominic Team, he was averaging about 56 feet per point. That is about as high of figures you're going to see. He was playing as patient as Daniil Medvedev. He was willing to go 20, 25, 30 balls into these rallies, wait for the, the short ball, the sitter that he can turn into and you know, I've mentioned this before, when he goes backhand down the line and then opens up an inside-out, inside-in forehand combo for himself when he's standing on the ad side 
That combo is as deadly as anything. And look, uh, something he did really well against Daniil Medvedev. Medvedev, who stands six feet back on, uh, you know, when he's returning behind the baseline. He, on the do side, did a really good job of hitting his slice serve out wide. He did that so often against Alex Virov in their Australian Open semifinal as well. That's going to be the play for him in this match. And you look in that Australian Open match, Dominic Team made 67% of his first serves. He was 74 of 96, 77 percent conversion rated on those first serve points. Yeah, that's what he's going to do. He's going to target the Zvira forehand. He's going to try and overwhelm that side with pace. He's going to attack, try and draw a short ball from Alex that he can turn on, go big down the line, or turn on and go, you know, big inside out, inside in with, start working that forehand on the ad side combo. Uh, he wants to get Zvira stretch. He's not going to be afraid to move forward either. In that match against Zvira, he went 23 of 27 at the net. He was pretty conservative with his margins, 43 winners against 40 unforced errors. He was exceptionally patient. He knows Zverev can grind, but as we've seen from team against Medvedev, as we saw from him in that match against uh, Zverev, uh, he's just as physically fit as any player on tour. He's going to move well. He's going to make that extra ball. He's going to try and get you stretched to the outer thirds. And look, if Zverev comes out shaky like he has, if the double faults are there, if he seeds an early lead, Dominic team's going to keep striking. He's going to keep firing away. He's not going to get tentative. He's just, you know, he's going to play loose. He's going to play free. That's Dominic Team's game. That's his style of play. And, you know, he's just he's playing really well right now. So there's a reason he's a prohibitive favorite. So I think we all know what a team win looks like. Him playing big, putting pressure on Zverev and just getting Zverev stretched to the outer third, getting Zverev parked six feet behind the baseline and just, you know, again, playing to big targets on that return of serve, letting Zverev beat himself. But I do think there is a case in this one for Alex Zverev to win. And obviously, you all know my affection for Alex Zverev's game. I think there's uh, maybe not as much of late, but there's usually 10 minutes in every match where he's going to look like the best player on a tennis court you've ever seen in the men's game. And in his match against Zverev, uh, against team in the Australian Open semifinal, again, he had multiple chances to win that match. Now, you talk about the nerves manifesting themselves. Uh, had a really shaky game. I think he hit all three of his double faults in this match. Match in or he had two of the three in the second set. Both of those came in one match. And by the way, if Alex Zverev serves only three double faults in this match, I think we all agree that would be a big victory for him. Now, in this match against Team, because it's worth noting, as big as Team hits the ball, as good as he is from the ground, his single biggest weakness is probably still the ability to overwhelm his one-handed backhand and just the backswing, how big it is of his forehand. He's six feet behind the baseline too, uh, with a big first serve. And Alex Zverev has that, and he has the ability to do it. In his match against team in the Australian Open semifinal, why he was able to stick around, stay so close in the match, he made 81% of his first serves. He hit 16 aces, went 70 of 103, 68% on those points, uh, 150% of his second serve points as well, but he only had to hit 24 second serves in a long four-set match. That's a pretty good margin if you're Alex Zverev, and that's where it starts for him. And in that match against team, he took such advantage of team's court position. He would hit the big serve, then hit the plus one ball and move in behind it. And in this match in Australia, Zverev went 36 of 51 at the net. Again, you have to take advantage of Dominic team's court positioning. He's six feet behind the baseline. You have to take space and time away from him. That's what Zverev did so well in Australia. And with his length, with his frame, with his ability and size on, you know, ability with the serve to create angles and space for himself, he 
needs to do that in this match. He cannot afford to be tentative. I also think, and this is a sneaky thing, obviously being the underdog helps from a mental perspective, but I think he really likes the matchup, and I know he's 2-7 and seven against Dominic Team, but he likes playing matches in the outer third. He likes absorbing his opponent's pace, getting to play a little bit flatter because of the spin team hits with, and once he's in the outer third, I actually think that's for him when reflexes take over, when he's not thinking as much. When you leave Zverev parked in the center of the court, then he starts to overthink. Then he's like, oh, should I be playing big cross court? I should be moving in here, right? I'm going to move in here, right? That's what a cool player would do, and I'm a cool player, so I'm going to do that. But when he's acting on instinct, when he's playing physically because he's moving side to side and he doesn't have time to think, I actually think that's the best version of Alex Zverev, and I think Dominic Team physically is going to force him to do that. Now, Zverev, again, in this match in Australia, 42 winners against 34 unforced errors, even if you take out the aces and un- and double faults here, you know, he had 26 uh, winners against, I believe, 30 unforced errors. That's pretty good uh, against Dominic Team, who's going to put so much physical pressure on you. And I know Team had a pretty similar matchup in Medvedev, but I think Zverev plays about three feet closer to the baseline than Medvedev, and I think on the return, uh, it's again, he's going to make a lot of returns, he's going to use his length, and I just don't think uh, team's going to have the sort of time he did to set up on the plus one ball as he did when he played Daniil Medvedev. That being said... Uh, Obviously, Dominic Team enters this one as the favorite. He's playing better tennis. He's even if Zverev is retrieving well, feels like a lot of this match could be on Dominic Team's racket unless Zverev is hitting the big first serve and confident enough to hit the plus one ball, move in behind it, win or lose. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be really good tennis. I apologize for that. I guess who's calling me? It's Jamie McDonald. Of course, we'll leave that in. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be really good tennis. You talk about the aces of the day we had in terms of betting on this match because I'm not going to bet a winner straight up. A, if you think Dominic Team's going to win, it's just not very good value to take his odds at minus whatever I said it was, minus three, I believe, 85. But, you know, a couple of things you can do to hedge here. If you think Team's going to win, I think the most likely scenario is probably three sets to none or three sets to one. Uh, if you bet on both of those, Team over Zvira plus 130 odds, three sets to love, 10 wins you 13. You bet him three sets to to one plus 275. Uh, I think 10 again wins you 27, uh, 2750. Uh, yeah, that that feels like a pretty good bet because if either of those hit, the other one is covered and there's not much left over, but there is some left over. And then look, Zverev, if you're going to take him, you can do it two ways. You think the only way he wins is a five set battle plus 10, uh, plus 1000 odds, 10 to one. That's pretty good. Uh, although it's also pretty good to get just every base covered and get him at plus 310. Like that's still pretty good margin as well. <sighs> Look, do I think Dominic Team's going to win? Yeah, probably. But I also really do like that everyone's just assuming Dominic Team's going to blow him out. I think these guys know each other's games really well. I think this is going to be a battle. I think the pressure, the opportunity presented to both of these players in this moment to be the first guy to win a Grand Slam title. And again, in terms of the narrative arc, of course you would have liked them to have to go through one of the big three, big four, but these are the two guys who should be playing to win the first title of the non-big three, big four generation. And look, in the matches they've played, uh, Zira beat him on outdoor clay in the Madrid final back in 2018. Zira beat him in Beijing, round of 32, three sets. But you look at all the matches these players have played, and again, they've played nine so far of those 
those nine matches, only two of them have been straight set of fair. That was the French Open quarterfinal 28. Oh, excuse me, three of them. French Open final, Madrid final, and great and uh, Nitto final, semifinals last year where team beat them at the end of the year indoors. But when these guys play, it's usually a battle. And that's what I'm expecting today. I really do expect it to be a four-set affair. I would throw in even Team Zero over three-and-a-half sets, minus 129. Those odds just aren't that great, but... I think it's going to go a minimum of four sets. I really do think Alex Zverev being the underdog, I just hope the moment doesn't overwhelm him. I hope we don't see the sort of tentative starts we've seen from him these past two matches because if he plays like he's capable of, he absolutely has a shot at winning this match. And I will forever... Just, I'll be so angry at myself if I don't pick Zverev to win and he ends up winning. Like, I'll just be so angry. So, I'm not going to exactly make a pick. I think I've laid out the case for what each player's win is going to look like. I think you do it mathematically, obviously, more likely than not. Dominic team wins. He just has more margin for error in this match. But I think it's going to be a battle. And again, I refuse to not pick Zverev on principle. Of course, I do think Dominic Team's going to win. And if you just want to say, Alex, well, aren't you just saying Team's going to win, but you're trying to hedge both of your bets here? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'll give you my pick. I'm going to say Zverev in five. Because why not? Because I'm a big Zverev fan. I believe in Alex. I think this is his moment. I think he's not going to be intimidated. Of course, I think all of that's going to end up being... That could all be... Should I just say team in four and then be pleasant? No, I, I can't say team in four. I can't abandon the Zverev bandwagon. I'm going to stick with Zverev in five, but yes, I do. When Dominic team wins in three sets or four sets, it's not going to shock me at all. That's why I hedge by making those my ace of the day. Nevertheless, it's going to be such an exciting match, such an exciting ending to these three weeks in New York. If you have missed any of the action, be sure to go check out our website, crackrackets.com, where you can find all of our mini breaks recapping each and every day of this event. Of course, you can find our GSP aces of the day on the Great Shot podcast, as well as on our YouTube channel in video form. You can also hear conversations I've had with people like Tumani Carriol, Ben Rothenberg, Nina Pantic, and so many more uh, throughout these exceptional three weeks. It's been, you know, such a pleasure for us, and we are so grateful to all of you Cracked Rackets fans for your continued support, to our Patreon supporters as well. We wouldn't be able to do this without, you know, both the monetary and just the emotional support you all provide. So seriously, a huge thank you to all of you. A huge thank you to our sponsors, Midwest Sports and Aerobar as well. Go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, Aerobar.com. The promo code is Cracked15. If you want those immediate updates throughout the match, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we're at Cracked Rackets. You want to follow me, I'll be live tweeting during this one, I'm sure, assuming the stress level doesn't kill me. I'm at uh, Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out, making all of this possible. But... With that in mind, again, for oh, and be on the lookout for our recaps of these events on our YouTube channel. Our super producers would want me to say that. But with all that in mind, for our wonderful friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Greskin. I hope you enjoy this final day of action in the U.S. Open. And as we always say, that's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.